0: Hey, this is Heath Paget, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode number seven. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If this is your first time joining us, the RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who live full-time in RVs, travel the country, and run their business from the road. I started the show to be a resource for anyone who is trying to figure out how to become location-independent or just make the transition into full-time travel. Well, every person I interview just so happens to live in an RV, just like myself, the majority of what we discuss is how they started their business and made the transition from living in a house or apartment to traveling full-time. Uh, we talk about why they decided to live, work, and travel in an RV, and what advice they would give for anyone who is trying to create an income that allows them to work from anywhere. On today's episode, I sat down to talk with Paul Cortman, who is currently traveling in an RV with his family in Mexico, Baja, Mexico to be specific. Paul has been running a digital marketing agency for the past five years with a few contract employees, and in this episode, he shares some really great advice on what success in this lifestyle looks like for him and his family, and also what he believes is the easiest location independent stream to get started with if you're just starting to think about uh, transitioning into full-time travel. But before we get into the show, I just want to be upfront and say that we had a little bit of connectivity issues at the beginning and a couple times throughout this episode. It's not the first time and definitely won't be the last. And It's definitely not enough that you lose track of the conversation or the content of what we're talking about or anything like that, but if you're somebody who's really extremely bothered and sensitive by a few connection issues, I would definitely suggest not listening to this episode. I think Paul has some really great wisdom, and I absolutely love how this episode played out, but I just want to be straight up with you so you don't get halfway into the show and you're really ticked off at me because um, I told you how awesome of a show it was, and we got we broke up a couple times. I did my best to edit it out, but that being said, I would suggest giving it a try anyway because there's a lot of really valuable content in here. Uh, So just don't get upset uh, if you hear the mechanic-y voice a couple times when you hear that the connection is low. It's a really great interview, so let's get into it. All right, I am here with Paul Cortman. Paul is traveling around with his family of six. Right now they are in Baja, Mexico. And you guys have been traveling around the country for the past two years, actually internationally now that you're in Mexico, in your RV running your digital marketing business. And this is actually take number two for those who you are listening. I've mentioned in previous episodes we've had issues with Wi-Fi. This has been a little bit hardcore. This is our first international call, but that's just part of it, right?
1: Yeah. it's Well, hi, everybody. And it is kind of part of the gig, you know, when when... Internet is something you live on and live by yet you're moving things come and go and you, you roll with it
0: yeah, so we'll do the best we can. Obviously, people didn't hear our conversations that we just had, but we were talking about, you know, I want to dig into what your business looks like, what family travel looks like for you living in an R V, but I'm particularly interested in the dynamic of living in Mexico in your R V because there is a very there's a lot of hype right now by the media of don't go to Mexico, you'll get shot, you'll die. And I'm not doubting any of the you know there have been cases and things like that, but what is it actually like right now? You've been down there for three months, so is anybody shooting at you or
1: no, and we haven't seen a gun yet um it's you know in full honesty, like the Baja Peninsula of Mexico, which is where we spent our first three months in Mexico, is really tame um and and in and across Mexico there's a couple of RVing communities that, on Facebook that talk about all of Mexico, and it's it's a it's our dirty little secret that we we like to let everybody north of the border think that it's dangerous down here because then it's much more quieter and calmer down here and there's fewer RVs. If everybody knew how safe it was and how great it was down here, uh, they'd be down here because it's super cheap. Uh, s- the locals are super friendly and there's so many beautiful things to do and and gorgeous places to stay um yeah so uh, safety uh the other th- you know the majority of mexico what suffers from two things uh petty crime and theft so it's more along the lines of um opportunity if you leave your chairs out at night and you're in a you know boondocking situation somebody might come and steal them okay chances are it depends on where you are at you know that sort of thing, but it's, it's small crimes like that. Those are fairly common. Uh, no more different than you would experience in the US. The closer you are to a city, you're gonna suffer through crimes like that. Um, the further you are out in the woods, you might not, but then on the other hand, if you're too far away and too secluded, you are vulnerable again. Uh, and that same thing holds true here in Mexico. The, what we find is staying just on the outskirts of a town walking or or a short drive distance where there are some other people around just so you're not alone to be taken advantage of. Um, and then the other thing is in Mexico, just don't drive at night. Uh, everything that we've heard that has happened where people have been injured or lives lost or any dangerous situation always happens at night. And, um, and so it's just a, a pure and simple fact, and this is true, for like all of Africa, for all of Mexico, Central America, South America, you just don't go out at night uh, if you want to remain safe. And so, um, yeah, we follow the, the, that simple rule and then also realize that stuff is just stuff and lives are more important um, and, and everybody stays safe. The last tourists who were whose last were taken in Mexico, it, it's been a number of years, but then one day just happened, I want to say, three months ago, just before we got into Mexico, and uh, they did two things wrong. One, they drove at night, uh, and two, when the the robbers were trying to steal their stuff, they refused and fought back, and so the robbers shot them. And it's like, you know, you'd think, wow, that's stupid. That never happened in the States, but it does. It's just not news across the U.S., because... Crime is so high in the US, but you know, we don't let's not focus in on that. It is safe here, it's gorgeous. There are thousands of RVers today on the Baja Peninsula. Um, Some are in caravans. Uh, I've seen a caravan of 20 RVs, but the majority of them are uh, solo, just driving like you would across the US.
0: I wonder if that there's a dynamic of safety associated with having a big caravan.
1: The reality is people are here without caravans and doing just fine. It's actually, you know, if you want to look at it, we drive a 37-foot Class A motorhome. It's an older one, so it doesn't look like money, but, it, it, you know, it's huge, and we stick out like a sore thumb. Now throw a couple of fifth wheels behind it and a couple more Class A's in front of it. You're going to stick out more than you would before so there's some safety to be considered but it's also um, just more along the lines of you draw a lot of attention when you come in with a big caravan like that
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense i think about how Alyssa and i've been traveling around the country with our you know for the past few years we were kind of in this breaking bad looking rv that's was 21 <laughs> years old and it literally kind of people mistakenly thought it looked like the rv off breaking bad and we just we just recently went up to this Winnebago, uh, you know, 2016 rig because we decided we liked the lifestyle. And it's weird because, you know, people just look at you differently. I, you know, we got kicked, not kicked out of, but we weren't allowed to stay in several RV parks because of the fact that our rig was so old. They're like, who are these sketchy people, you know, rolling up here? And anyway, I don't want to get boggled down. That's
1: awesome. But,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's crazy about Mexico. That's really cool that you guys are there and I, you know, I hope you stay safe and I don't want to, you know, start this episode off on a completely down note, but that's really cool. You know, that's that's insightful. So, you guys left, sold your house and everything and in around February of 2014, uh 2 years ago. What has the last 2 years looked like for you guys? You've been running your business from the road, traveling full-time, but give me kind of a snapshot overview of what that time has looked like.
1: Yeah, first I'll back up and say we fell into the location-independent lifestyle um, on accident. I know a lot of people are wanting to do this or wanting to be on the road and trying to figure out how to. Uh, we came at it a little backwards. Uh, we decided to homeschool our kids out of a philosophical belief, and, um, and then I ended up quitting my job and starting a business because uh, I wasn't really... I just wasn't okay with working, you know, eighty, ninety hours uh, a week, or at least being gone from the kids with commute time for eighty hours a week, and and having really nothing to show for it. So I quit my job, started my own business, and we ran it that way for about three years. Uh, you know, working out of my basement in a house. And um, Becky and I, we looked at each other one day, and we just started. You know, we're dreamers, and we just said you know, we don't like this lifestyle anymore. We don't like what we're doing. So what if we did this? And I had been paying attention to the whole digital nomad movement of where, you know, guys are just, you know, getting out of high school and moving to Thailand and, you know, working some gig online and making a $1,000 and living, you know, living with coconut cash, as they call it. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I want to know, can we do that? Because I can run my business from anywhere. The only thing that was holding us back was our house. So two years ago, we ended up selling 90 percent of our belongings and our house. And, um, and we moved around Southeast Asia, uh, South Africa and bits of Europe, trying to find a place where we could enjoy as kind of like a new home base. So we did a lot of moving. I think we had, oh, 24 flights and 30 different beds in that time period. And so it was, you know, in the first year. Um, and our youngest was one year old when we started that. Um, so, you know, we did a lot of craziness um, and, uh, and had a lot of fun. Um, but working from the road, I mean, all I needed was an Internet connection. My phone was Google Voice, and so I could always tie it to Skype or whatever cell phone I had in country, and and away we went. Um, so we started there. We came back to the states for a period of time to um, pick up a few more clients, uh, to work out some relationship things, and then um, and then we were like, well, oh, we want to go to Mexico and Ecuador. And so we started looking at flights and then I had a big fat mouth and said, well, what if we drive there? And my wife said, there's no way we're driving to Mexico in a minivan with our kids. So then we got into a motorhome and this whole RVing lifestyle. You know, we've owned our motorhome for a little over nine months. We've lived in it for nine solid months now. So I think we bought it a couple of weeks before we moved into it.
0: You guys, you mentioned on your blog that you stumbled upon a group of location-independent entrepreneurs, like you said, these guys that graduated from high school and were just living on coconut cash. What was the name of that group? And you said that there was a list of basically countries where you could go and live in with low cost of living and great internet access. Do you remember what the name of that group was online and what some of those countries were? You've got
1: two things going on. One is the Dynamite Circle, which is a a forum of... um, people who are who are making money and um, making loca- location independent money so it's not a place to go learn how to it's more of a place uh, for people who are already doing it and then um, and and going from there so I picked up a lot from that but then now things have changed a lot in the last two years now you have nomad list um, which is the best place to go right now to get all the details on a space on a location of where you'd want to move to so you can look up cost of living cost of internet cost of rent uh what the climate's like what the culture's like you know what language they speak and all that and so you can narrow it down to where you can have here's the 10 cities that would be perfect for you across the globe uh and it's a really sweet way to just kind of start your you know start your research and say wow i had never heard of um, like for us, one of them that came up was Tulum, Mexico. It's actually a pretty big hotspot for digital nomads. I had never heard of it, but you know, it meets all of our requirements. So we'll be heading there in a couple of months.
0: Wow. You, you were already running your business for three years before you guys hit the road. What exactly, you you have a digital marketing agency, right? Correct.
1: What does that mean? That
0: could mean like, <laughs> a, yeah, it could be like a million things. Like it could mean a 200 person company or it could mean you know you and you got some clients that basically it pays living and things like that. So what is the scope of that company and what does that work look like?
1: I'm, I'm very thankful that you asked that because so many people are just like, oh, a digital marketing agency, wow. Um, when I quit my job and started the business, there had been a lot of pent up demand. Things were, you know, the market was really hot for that. So my first month I had demands, I had, I think I was bringing in 40000 my first month. So, you know, just to give you an idea of the scope at how things blew up, and I didn't have that struggle to start. Um, three years down, you know, four years into the company, I started struggling because clients weren't coming like they were before. So I deal with, I typically have between five to 10 clients, uh, and they pay, um, they pay four to five, mostly four figures. I've had a couple of clients at five figures a month and they um, yeah. And then we do, so I have a staff of location independent consultants um, and I bring them on or let them go based on our, our client load. It's not easy to let them go, but it's nice that I can, you know, bring them on when a project comes in that's in their sweet spot. And um, so for that reason, like I'll work with different people every day and um, it just depends on the project that we have going at that time.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, so what exactly, what kind of work do you guys do with clients?
1: Just about anything, I mean a lot of our work is strategy and helping them enter the marketplace, but we'll do conversion optimization, Uh, we'll run ads online for them, we'll create content. Uh, Obviously (laughs) lately it's been a lot of content creation, But then we do SEO audits and then manage sites for clients to be able to make sure that they rank better, uh, get the right traffic, and then convert that traffic into whatever their metric is. An example is the University of Notre Dame came to us and said, hey, we've got this new program. It's a one-year MBA for STEM students, uh, STEM being science, technology, engineering, and math. And um, we want them to get their MBA through this program. Um, but they're you know it's it's hard to find these students, so we we used social media, we use search, we used uh paid advertising and content to be able to bring in uh those desired students, and then we tweaked their website to be able to get better conversions and uh, increase their program they had they were hoping to get 25 students and, uh, in our third year they had a waiting list of 40 accepted students. So, um, yeah, it's just, that's kind of the programs that we work with of trying to do everything we can online to be able to bring, um, whatever success we can to, to the right client. You know, we deal with medium to large companies. I mean, I'm not, I have a lot of people that come to me and they're like, Hey, I just built this wooden widget can you help me market it? it's like, well, I can, but I'm pretty expensive. The tactics we do, the staff we use, um, we're not cheap. And for that reason, we get to give high quality and high attention to our five or six clients. Um, you know, depending on what month it is and and how things are going. So, um, that's the focus of how I run my business.
0: And how did you get into that? Like, what were you? What was your background before you started your company? I'm a
1: certified nerd. I have a pocket <laughs> protector,
0: and I is there some is there some website that you went to to get certified uh, as a nerd? No,
1: no, actually, I just, um, you know, I had a friend when I was, you know, in elementary. I think I had a friend who said, "Hey, you're interested in learning about computers," and I said, "Yeah," and so I learned on the job. I volunteered for a couple of for a year, and then he hired me and. Uh, worked my way up into the system, and um yeah, so i was i was running i don't know twenty five hundred servers and stuff sitting in an i t room um you know never seeing the light of day and uh and then I took different jobs and ended up working for an advertising agency and had learned a little bit about s e o and social media and paid advertising, and uh was telling the web developers they were doing it wrong. And they said, fine, thanks for opening your big fat mouth. Why don't you take it over? And so I did, and long story short, within four years of me saying that, I had built a, a department within this agency for digital marketing, and um, yeah, we were really successful there. So the problem was uh, expectations at that agency, you had to be 100% billable for 40 hours. And so that means you have to work 50 or 60, Plus, they wouldn't let me telecommute, so it just started adding up. And it was like, wait, I've got 14 clients here, and the amount that they're paying is way more than what they should be paying. So I was able to you know, step out, find some clients, give them a steal of a deal. Uh, they were getting better quality, better service for half price. And um, yeah, built a book of business based on that.
0: Wow, that's really cool. I mean, I feel like that's probably the safest... Transition that you can make when going into full time travel. You're the second father and husband I've talked to who travels full time with their kids, and both of them was almost the exact same scenario. They transitioned out of their their company and to working at home, basically doing the same type of craft. Their kids were homeschooled, and so there was just this naturally easy transition. So there's something about that dynamic.
1: There's there's more risk when there's more mouths to feed, um, and and so like for me to be able to just jump out and not have a job and not have income is terrifying like it it literally keeps me up at night because i could not do that i you know like i just feel the stress and pressure of having to feed these kids and having to provide for them so yeah it, you know that's how we end up doing it when we have you know spouses and kids is like okay give me something first to work on so that i've got a stable income. That happens to be location independent, and then I'll start traveling, and uh, and that's the safer way to go about it, and also reduces a lot of stress, in my opinion.
0: Absolutely, it seems like the the easier side of the work that. I, I I take that back. I'm about to. I'm gonna put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> I was gonna say the the less technical side of the work that you do is the content creation, but that's also I would say the some of the most valuable that any company or business can have in 2016 is to be able to post good engaging content because obviously that's where SEO comes in huge and people look to them as a resource. So if somebody was listening to this and they were they're a writer or somebody who can write good copy. What would you say to them uh, if they were interested in trying to build up some type of clientele business to take on the road because that was that was actually our first inclination before we got started on our journey in traveling around the country doing hourly America was that we were gonna start up some type of you know social media marketing or blogging or you know content development for for, for different businesses and even brought on a couple of clients before we decided, hey, you know what this hourly America sounds way more fun and we found a sponsor, <laughs> so we're gonna just do that. But what would you say for somebody who's interested in building up some kind of business like that? How would you go about getting clients and things like that? And by
1: the way, I'm so glad that you guys found, stumbled upon and made success with Hourly America because having another social media content generating company is just not worth it. Um, So (laughs) thank you for contributing more value to the world instead of just you know, more Buzzfeed articles. I, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> if you want to generate content, if you like, there's a couple of different, well, there's a couple of different things to say here. One is, um, gen- generating content writing in general is probably the easiest way to get into location, independent revenue, uh, or income. It's because you can write from anywhere. You can submit to anyone and, and you can get paid for your work. Uh, it, you know, there's value in it. It's well-defined. People have been doing it for years. So uh, with that said, yeah, that's a pretty straightforward one to go into. The other thing is, another side of that coin is that the market is really flooded right now. And if I go out there and look for a content generator for a writer, like, I've got way too many choices. So, you know, as everybody, I don't know if you've heard this before, but this is a drama I hear beaten all the time and I'll do it again myself niche down find something like I knew you're gonna yeah say it's predictable <laughs> isn't it like you got to be the content generator for dentists in Florida you know like or something like that like just like niche where you can define here's the 700 people I'm going after because they're my target audience and I'm gonna serve them um, you know or whatever it is however Going back to your original question, if somebody is writing content, has clients, or they're trying to market something, like, say, Hourly America, um, there's a couple of things that I would recommend doing. Uh, one of them is go to where the people are and where they're asking questions. So people are on Facebook and they're on q sites like Quora. Quora is my favorite one right now. You go there and you find the questions that they're asking and you write really in-depth, long, value-packed answers to these questions, um, and and you get to build up cred that way, uh, credibility, and then you're also able to link off to your own sites and properties. Uh, that is significantly more valuable than just I wrote another blog post. Because it is about marketing, it's about when you produce that content, how are you gonna get it in front of your audience? So once you hit publish, There's got to be 10 more steps that you do, and it's not just, oh, I need to tweet it and Facebook it and Instagram it. No, 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 no. Like, how are you going to make sure the right audience gets that piece of content? Uh, And so, you know, it's it's more about figuring out what the audience wants ahead of time before writing it, making sure they want that, and then writing something that's well over 2,000 words. That's just this, like, Somebody reads it and they go, wow, I can't help but sharing that or linking to that or, you know, Heath's article on this, that is the go-to resource for anything when it comes to the RV black tank, you know, or whatever. Like, that's just, that's the kind of content you need to produce and not these, hey, I'm posting something new every day dribble. It's more along the lines of bringing value to this world in such a way that people consider you the resource, that's how you're gonna stand out and do well.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I think what you're what you're hitting down on, and I don't think it's said, I don't think this is said enough. That the simple truth is, if you want to be really the success successful in not just writing, but in any kind of business, you know, you have to show up and provide value. I I heard a talk by a guy named Derek Sivers, uh, who has a couple of books out, and I'm a huge fan of his. He had a company called CD Baby. Uh, in the early two thousands. But anyway, what he basically said was we spend so much of our time focusing on the solution instead of the problem. So you're saying go to Quora, find out what problems people have, and if you're if you can solve them, you know, don't just blow smoke up people's butts, you know, for lack of better words. You know, so I think that that's huge.
1: Like for example, go on Quora and find out, you know, or even even like RVers, they don't go on Quora, they go in these you know, RV forums, and, and go in there and find out what people are asking about about how to treat their windshield or something like that, or how to, how to protect uh, their roof, and go in there and be the expert and the authority on that if that's something you want to do. There are a lot of people who have done that, but there are still people constantly asking these questions. I myself am a member of a Facebook group where I go and I ask a question like, Hey, so my heater just quit. How should I troubleshoot it? Um, and that's just that's a gold mine for content that you could produce.
0: Yeah, and I would actually say something about the r v industry as a whole. Is that it's about fifteen I don't know what it, if I want to say fifteen years behind, but it's definitely behind <laughs> oh, yeah. versus other mark because if you think about it, uh, the demographic is significantly older. Uh-huh. There's a they're they're having a leisurely time in their lives, which is fine, that's great, that's that's life. But that being said, there's not that many young, innovative minds in this market. So the uh, there is actually more opportunity, I would say, as a writer, as a contributor you know, a blogger if you wanna build up a business doing something like that in this space. Because people always look at me funny when I tell them I, I launched an RV podcast. They're like, wow, you really niche down. Like, how how many 200 people are listening to that thing? Nice. <laughs> uh, but it's kinda of funny because there's, there's more people out there than you think. But uh, I have a question. So, uh, you guys just posted a blog and you said that you're looking to, you know, kind of find a home that you can spend seven or eight months out of the year and and then maybe spend another four or so months traveling. And I saw, is it Tis? Is that how you pronounce? Tice. Sorry, Tice. Yeah. Tice. Tice. Uh, is is that your son? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. It's I've never seen that spelled <laughs> like that. It's, I saw that he wants to go back to Thailand and have Thai tea every day. Yeah.
1: These kids are world travelers. And, you know, when you... There's a script out there. It's I, I used to call it the American script. I now call it the Western culture script, of where you get married, you have kids, you settle down, and you you buy a house or you buy a mortgage, and you and you live there. You you know you you become a soccer mom or dad. You take your kids to all these activities. You sign them up for things that you never had the opportunity to be a part of, and you you know they become a four sport kid and all this. And it's like when you take a step back and you say, I love to travel. I really, you know, after finishing college, getting married, my wife and I, we traveled internationally before we got married. We traveled independently, internationally, and, and there's an independent streak in both of our situations. My wife is a, uh, uh, well she's a middle child so she's you know got that stubborn independent rebellious nature and i don't know what my story is i'm the youngest so i'm just i don't know selfish and independent but we are so independent together and desire to travel internationally so much we never it never crossed our mind that our kids would desire this as much as we do and it it still amazes me that my wife's really good with our kids, really good with kids in general. And she'll sit down and ask them one-on-one questions, like really big questions like, Hey, we're coming back from Europe. We're heading back to the States. We're going to stay there for about six months, uh, you know, or whatever. We're, we're buying plane tickets back to Michigan. Uh, how do you guys feel about this? And she would ask them one-on-one and the, the three who could speak at that time, um, All made her promise in their own words that we would not stop traveling like we're okay to go back to michigan for a little while but we don't want to stop this lifestyle and it's like you just realize wait a minute these guys have it in their dna they want to be travelers they want to live this lifestyle and i i saw it in a forum yesterday uh A parent was joking about this saying do it before they turn teenagers and they can form their own opinions Um, And I had a good chuckle about that, but our kids really enjoy this So yeah when it comes to Tice he wants to he wants to go back to Thailand He really loved it there. The problem is he suffers from heatstroke And so the tropics are just a little bit too much for him And we have to really really watch him even here in Mexico in the winter when it's you know mid 70s to mid 80s every day Um, We have to watch him and make sure that he's not doing the wrong thing uh, because, you know, he's passed out in my hands before. So, you know, like, you know, he loves it there, but it's probably not the best thing for him until he becomes more self-aware and can realize, hey, I'm sitting in the sun and I'm running like a five-year-old. Maybe I should cool off and settle down just a little bit. So, you know, there's, there's all these dynamics that come into play when you have kids. But uh, if I could say anything to anybody who's out there, who, whether you're in an RV or not, uh, consider traveling internationally with your kids. Uh, it opens their eyes up to a whole lot more instead of the closed mindedness that it develops in any country. So like I've talked to Australians and, and British and Dutch and you know Germans and they're all like, hey, the people in my hometown, the people in my country, they're all closed minded. But when you start traveling internationally, it does something to you and it does something to your kids that you can't do in a book and you can't do with videos. Um, but it's funny because they'll also watch a video now, uh, you know, a, a video about an African safari or uh, about some, you know, what in Thailand. And they'll be like, yeah, we were there. Um, and so it's just very cool to hear them talk about their connection to these places and, um, and you know, age appropriately, he wants to drink a really, really sugary, strong tea. Um, you know, all <laughs> right, go for that. You know, at least he's appreciating some aspects of the culture.
0: Absolutely. I love that. Thai tea is awesome. I've only had it in uh, California, so I, I don't think I've, I'm sure it would be a totally different experience actually being able to have it in Thailand, but <laughs> I have a question. So what does, and this is, forgive me for the corniness of this question, but I, I want to know sincerely, what does success look for, look like for you in this lifestyle with traveling with your family? Uh, it, You know, what does, what does that look like? Is it more about, you know, the way the kids come out? Is it more about the experience that you're having with them? Just when you think about what does it look like for you to have success, not just in your work, but in your life with your family, in your travels, what does that look like for you?
1: That's a fun question. It's not a corny question. It is, it is definitely a fun question. Success for me looks like being able to contribute to the world value in some way and getting paid for that. I put uh, a limit on that that I would enjoy doing that for four hours a day. I want to turn everything on its head and say, I am going to work for four hours a day contributing really good value into this world, hopefully making money for doing that. And then the rest of my day, I'm going to pour my time and energy into my wife and kids. We're going to go exploring. We're going to go snorkeling. We're going to, you know, fix the RV because that's what we end up doing most of the time. Um, But, you know, like just really being a part of my family uh, and not just the breadwinner. Uh, so success for me um, boils down into you know, a time frame of four hours a day. Uh, it boils down to making enough to be able to live where we want to. So um, uh, you know, a success doesn't mean a car or a house or anything like that. It just means, hey, when our minivan breaks down to the point where we can't fix it anymore, I want to be able to afford a new one. That's it. You know, and not brand new. I just want to be able to replace it because I don't buy new. Uh, so that's kind of my definition of success. It's a little bit somewhere between uh, suburban lifestyle and hippie lifestyle where you don't need more than $5 a day. You know, Somewhere in the middle there of where I really want to invest in my kids, but I also want to contribute value to this world.
0: That's funny because whenever we started traveling, I think that's a great amazing definition of what success looks like by the way whenever we started traveling in an RV i thought that i wouldn't have any type of like-minded community because when i thought of people traveling around the country or the world in their 20s i basically thought of a couple different kinds of people one i thought of the very savvy you know penny-pincher type a person who can go backpacking because they've travel hacked and things like that yep. and then i also th- i also think of the very much the hippie, you know. We were in Santa Cruz, Cali- Santa Cruz, California, for a few months last year in our RV, and there's like guys who are in old, super old RVs, crashing on the beach, smoking pot, um, and surfing during the day because that's what they want to do. You know, I, I knew that we obviously weren't the hippies, and I knew that you know we weren't these hardcore travel hacker type people, although we have done some of that, and so I. I didn't realize there would be so much of an in-between of people who were actually very entrepreneurial and into travel but they're not necessarily on either end of the spectrum they're kind of in between where you know where you guys are yeah
1: and I want to jump on that for a minute you you mentioned community you talked about it that you 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 expected almost a lack of community and and in reality it is it is so lonely out on the road because and that's why guys like you and I are podcasting and we're publishing and we're trying to get the word out there because there are tons of people out here doing this. And once you get out there, once you get out of the matrix and you're like, whoa, there's more people. And it's funny because you kind of you see each other and you go, whoa, they like for us, we a friend of ours blogged about it the other day. They they saw us and they're like, whoa, there's kids. They're in Mexico and they they're not they're living on the beach. Whoa, whoa. They live in an RV, you know, and so like all of a sudden it's just like you gravitate towards each other and you're like best friends almost instantaneous because you share so many things in common and because there's so few people like you. There's so few people doing it or at least that's what you're made to think and feel because it's very hard to cross paths to find each other to see what's going on. And so that's why I encourage anybody who's considering this lifestyle or doing it. To join a community, to get really serious about that, so many problems we ran into um, when we were planning our trip, our initial trip, and when we did our initial trip, would have been alleviated if we had a community of like-minded individuals who, in our case, who wanted to travel international as a family, who wanted to live a traveling lifestyle with kids. Uh, you know, there's there's a different there's different issues that come up. Um, here's a funny one uh someone said um they were planning out their trip and they were saying they're gonna you know move every month and hit 12 countries in 12 months and and I wrote back and was like, you're crazy. You're, you're just going to die. That's an insane breakneck pace. And someone else wrote back and said, I did it. There's nothing wrong with that. And then she followed up and said, oh, but our kids took the year off school and my husband didn't have to work for the entire year. And I was like, well, see right there. Like it's a completely <laughs> different experience when you're talking about somebody who, you know, penny pinched and can backpack for a year because they don't have to make any money to somebody who is living location independent, but they actually have to work and they have to have internet. And that's two totally very different things. Same thing when you're dealing with kids. Somebody who's taking a gap year with kids or somebody who's actually, you know, like, hey, we're schooling our kids on the road. This is their life. Uh, You know, quote unquote, there's no end in sight. We're just gonna live and see how it goes. Very different things. But then so many of your... Family members and your friends and your community back quote home will can't support you because they don't know what you struggle with they they have no experience and our first year out, many of our friends and family would just say, "Well, just come home, and it'll all be better and It was like that's not the right answer it wasn't what we wanted to hear and it wasn't what we needed to hear, so you know that's why we end up starting communities and in, in our are trying to you know help everybody to say hey there are other people like you you're not alone you can be cross or anti not anti you can be different but be different together and um so yeah if you're if you're listening and you're feeling that way you got to join something
0: yeah absolutely it's it's like we're you know when we're in one place and we're doing the typical uh american thing i guess you could say you know i was working in a startup in austin just like a lot of my friends were and i was you know going out on the weekends going to top golf spending lots of money on entertainment it's crazy to look at our budget back then versus now but that's a whole nother thing (laughs) but the whole point is that there's this whole nother world out there and you might see it in passing in a buzzfeed article or something about how this guy lives remote and travels all the time but but you know exactly what you said and I'm probably just reiterating it but I think that's okay because it needs to be said again it's just the fact that once you get you step out of that normal lifestyle into you know this nomadic traveling thing you meet all these other people who are doing it and you get connected and you realize hey this isn't crazy and it could be sustainable if I want to you know I've noticed within a lot of people who go into the RV lifestyle specifically they, there ends up being kind of this two to four year turnover, it seems, for a lot of families and, and just even couples who are traveling that they do it for a few years and they, you know, they do it full time, but then they kind of go into this part time thing, which I think is just natural. You know, we we desire community and, and things like that. But even while you are traveling, you totally can find that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think I think there's two things to walk that that time frame. Um, one is the lack of community, the lack of support. And two, we're still we're still cutting edge and breaking the mold of um what it means to settle down. So, you know, like like for you and your wife, there has got to be copious amounts of pressure for you guys to have kids. It's part of our culture. Like, oh, you guys have been married a year now, great, when are you gonna pop a kid out? You know, and every other day. Right. And then the, the second question, because you guys have chosen this RVing craziness and now you're podcasting about it, I mean, come on, when is that fad going to be over and you'll buy a house like everybody else? So there's that pressure that is just on you every day. And if you have nobody else coming from the other side of saying, hey, you're okay. You can live this. You don't have to have kids. Or you can live this life and you could be in an RV for the rest of your life and you won't be on Breaking Bad and you're fine. You know, like... <laughs> that's that's okay. And you're not a hippie and you're not wasting away your life. You're actually, you know, choosing your life and choosing what you want to do with it. Uh instead of just, you know, doing the normal thing. Um and so totally.
0: Some, something that I something that I read in uh Chris Gilbo. Do you know what Chris Gilbo is? Have you heard totally. of him? Totally. Yep. Yeah. So something I read in Chris's last book. Uh, The Happiness of Pursuit was he, Chris says for those of you who aren't listening, he's wrote several books. One is called The $100 Startup, The Art of Nonconformity, and he had one last year called The Happiness of Pursuit. And basically for several years, I think 10, Chris traveled to every country in the world by the time he was 35. And so this guy is like the king of travel. And he said that one thing that was always a letdown, especially when he was earlier on in his travels, and later on he kind of embraced, was this idea of whenever he talked to people about his trips and his adventures, and you got to imagine a hundred, and I think, gosh, I always forget how many hundred thirty something countries in the world. It's changing sometimes, yep. but you know they would always they would always say, "How was your trip?" And you know there was like one sentence, and how can you possibly? wrap up 10 years of travel to every country in the world in something, you know, like people's eyes start glazing over. And it's the same thing for us. And I'm sure the same thing for you and anybody who travels for an extended period of time is that whenever you get back home, quote unquote, if you go back, you know, when you're talking to your old friends, there's a sense of being misunderstood. And so that community comes into part there as well. If you have people who can understand and relate because you're talking to people trying to explain to them how cool it is. You know you're on Baja, you're you're in the Baja Peninsula in Mexico working from the beach, uh but people just they don't get it.
1: Yeah. I had I had a lot of fun with that because the other thing is you know, people live elements of our lifestyle when they go on vacation. So, for example, like they're going to go camping this weekend. So they get out their RV and they go to the campground and they, you know, have s'mores every night. And that's, you know, oh, yeah, we RV too, Yeah, no big deal. And then they envision that that's what you do when when you live <laughs> in an RV is that you, you know, you basically play board games and you go to the campground pool and you, you know, have a campfire every night, roast hot dogs and have s'mores. And it's like the same thing is true for those of us who are doing the international thing um you know before we had the rv they they were just envi- envisioning us on a beach in the philippines where we just sat around and drank you know adult drinks all day and it was like well no you know we work and so we had we had a funny story of where we got access to a timeshare uh, resort here in in Mexico in Cabo San Lucas, and we spent three days there, met some really great friends. Uh, but the kids were just able to chill out at the pool. We still went home to our RV every night, um, but we had access to the pool, and it was a, it was a treat for the kids. But here I am whipping out my laptop and working, and all the other dads are looking at me. This is their one week of vacation a year. And they're like, I can't believe that guy. He's working on his vacation. What's up with that? And it's like, no, I'm not on vacation. This is a completely different lifestyle of where, you know, we're working. We get to enjoy totally different experiences or some similar experiences, but it's not a vacation where we're cramming everything in as often as possible. So like today, um, uh, you know, I had considered, Hey, I kind of want to go snorkeling today. Um, yeah, you know i'll go tomorrow and i will I'll, I'll actually go tomorrow instead of today and that's a choice i can make because i'm not on vacation i'm gonna be here for a couple of weeks so you know i get to choose how do the waves look is it the right day do i have more work and i get to balance all that and um the same thing's true when you're rving you know like in the states you're in austin you want to go see the bats coming out over congress bridge and it's like well do I want to go tonight or do I want to go tomorrow night? Well, if you're only there for a week, you better go tonight. But if you're there for a month, eh, you can go tomorrow night if you're too tired today. And, uh, so yeah, that's just another perk and difference in this lifestyle of, you know, we're not just on vacation.
0: Absolutely. I love it. Well, I want to, I want to start wrapping up Paul, but I want to do a little, uh, Q and a before you go. So, Right now, what do you guys, what are y'all using for internet? Does Verizon and things like that work down in Mexico or what are you using for? Yeah,
1: it's the funniest thing. Verizon is fantastic in the States. And so we were using a, a MiFi jetpack that we got unlimited data on while we were in the States. And uh,
0: How did you do that?
1: Uh, eBay. You can go to eBay and you can find somebody who's quote unquote renting one to you, they're not actually transferring their plan, they'll rent you an uh, access to their plan for around 150 bucks a month. And uh, I thought it was a scam, but it worked out fantastic. Uh, And I loved it. You know, 150 bucks seems like a lot, but when you got four kids, 10 devices, and lots of Netflix streaming, uh, it's a whole lot cheaper than the alternative of paying per gig. So that's what we did when we were in the States.
0: We'll take that conversation offline because I want to know more about that. <laughs>
1: Definitely, uh, we might even put a link in the show notes. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then in Mexico, and in fact, this is completely different this year than it was last year. T-Mobile and Google Fi have have blown the market off of this more so on T-Mobile side, but Google Fi project, you can um, get a SIM card in the U.S have your Google Voice connected to it, you have to have a Nexus phone, but then you, it's $10 per 10 gigs. And so no matter how many you use, you know it's a flat rate, this is what you're gonna pay, and you're good, and it works in 140 countries. It works here in Mexico, it's fantastic. Um, however, T-Mobile does a very similar thing. You pay for your access in the US, you get unlimited data at whatever speeds you can get in those 140 countries, or 128 countries, or whatever it is, so all the countries we're looking to go to over the next two years, um, all but Belize are covered by T-Mobile's plan, and and I thought this is way too good to be true. This, you know, like I was trying to read the fine print, I couldn't get a straight answer. Talked to a bunch of people that were in Mexico and couldn't get, you know, a real good answer. When I got here, I figured it out they are t-mobile is partnered with the the quote-unquote the verizon of mexico it's called telcel they're the biggest best uh coverage in in um in mexico and if i can get telcel coverage i have unlimited data so when i'm in certain large cities i get lte and unlimited data and right here sitting on the beach totally boondocking i've got 3g unlimited data, so we Netflix and YouTube all we want, and um, yeah, for a pretty low rate. That's a, lu-
0: <laughs> that's a luxury. What do you guys, have you figured out healthcare while you're traveling?
1: Yeah, we do, so, um, so we're Christians, so we are able to subscribe. Um, the Obamacare stuff uh, has exceptions for a couple of different what are called healthcare sharing plans. So we're in one of those. Um, We can put a link in the show notes if people are interested in that. It is a faith thing, so you have to be tied to a certain religion um, to get into that. However, I would recommend everybody to look at World Nomads. Again, a link in the show notes. It's what we've used for our secondary insurance. It's paid out really well. Uh, also includes emergency evacuation and um, lots of different little perks like uh, $500 replacement on electronics and stuff like that. So pretty sweet stuff.
0: Awesome. What is uh, y'all's typical monthly budget while y'all are in Mexico boondocking?
1: Well, our, uh, our total family budget um, is five thousand a month, and that just means that, you know, if we're boondocking, we're saving money and able to pay off. We incurred a little debt when we lost some clients, and so we're able to pay off more on the debt. Um, but we pay ourselves a total of five grand a month, and um, and that covers. Gas is pretty expensive in Mexico. I'm in a gas rig; it's a huge rig, and so I, I get terrible gas mileage, and um, most of our budget goes to that. If we're moving. You know, any more than every week, um, then our budget just gets thrown to gas. But everything else is really cheap.
0: Awesome. And the last question is: What kind? I know you guys mentioned that you mentioned that you guys have a Class A. Why did why did y'all choose a Class A motorhome? Our whole re- obviously probably for room, right?
1: Yeah, our whole reason for for getting into a motorhome. I mean, for getting into an RV in general, was just so that we could travel and use the bathroom as we were driving. Um, and so that, you know, that right there put us into a motorhome, a class C or a class A is what we were looking at. And, um, and we just couldn't find the layout in a class C. It just wasn't big enough and powerful enough. I didn't like the engines in them and, um, and the price for what you get was just crazy. So we went into a class A. Um, my only regret is, uh, not going diesel. You know, it's it's half the price to go gas, but you pay for it for the, the duration of you owning that motorhome.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, luckily, gas is at ridiculously cheap rates here in the States, and so that will make traveling the summer fantastic.
1: Yep. Not so for those of us in Mexico where they change price once a year in
0: January. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Well, Paul, thanks so much, man, for jumping on the podcast with me and sharing everything. I'm sure we could... Uh, talk for days and it's just been so awesome talking to you and you know now we're connected we're friends and you know you're part of my community now so awesome
1: glad to be there and uh, I look forward to what the future brings for both of our families
0: thanks Paul I hope you enjoyed that episode with Paul if you made it here to the end that means that you weren't too disturbed by the annoying connection issues and I applaud you I wish I had some kind of reward for you but I don't so virtual high five to you anyway Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you've been enjoying the podcast. If you have, then I would love it so much if you would head over to iTunes and leave a review for the show. Those things are like gold uh, for podcasters, so if you know you want other people to be able to find the show and get access to it, then it will be so helpful if you went to iTunes, click on re- ratings and reviews, you have to be signed in, and just leave a review for the show and uh, tell me how you're enjoying it. That would mean so much. Uh, on the next episode of The RV Entrepreneur, I'll be sitting down to talk with Craig and Brianna Felix to talk about how they've been able to start a successful virtual assistance company while traveling full-time with their four kids, And that'll be next week. I'll see you guys then. Thank you again so much.